As we return this evening to our studies in Paul's letter to the Colossians, we come to the end of this section of practical exhortations in chapter 4. And I, as I was looking ahead earlier at the following verses, there are these greetings uh, and words about various people that were familiar to the church in Colossae. And it just struck me that, well, we're coming to the end of this letter. And always when I come to the end of some months of, exor- of expositions like this, I feel like, oh no, we're going to have to say goodbye to an old friend as we finish this letter. And so there's a, a tendency to say, wait a minute, I don't want to say goodbye yet. Well, I hope that you have that sort of response and not the response of, oh good, we're finally going to be done with Colossians. But I hope that the, our expositions here are going through this letter have been a delight to your souls as well as to mine. Well then, let's pick up our reading in Colossians chapter 4, and let's read this section of some closing exhortations, I call them, verses 2 through 6 of chapter 4, final exhortations, Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God may open up to us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have been also been imprisoned, in order that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned, as it were, with salt, so that you may know how you should respond to each person. And then let me just read verses 5 and 6 in the New King James Version, which has actually a better, more accurate rendition of the original. Colossians 4, 5, and 6, New King James says, Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Then I want to read one more verse from Ephesians, that sister letter of this letter to the Colossians, written uh, probably about the same time from prison. Colossians 4, excuse me, Ephesians 4, and just one verse, verse 29, because we're going to be talking uh, especially about verse 6 in Colossians 4, has to do with speech. Well, here in Ephesians 4, verse 29, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. That your word may give grace to those who hear. Would that that were always the case with the words that proceed from our mouths. Well, let's pray that God would help us to that end as we study his word that his word would be that word like a hammer that shatters the rock, but also to mold and shape us so that we would be more pleasing to him who, as we read in First Peter earlier, has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness and brought us into his marvelous light. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as those who have been transferred out of the domain of darkness into your marvelous light, We desire to speak forth your excellencies, to proclaim your praise. And yet this tongue which you have given us, which is to be an instrument of good to those around us, so often has been an instrument of harm, a weapon that has caused distress, grief, pain, sorrow. We ask that you would forgive us. We ask that you would sanctify us, sanctify especially this little member which can do such great evil, but which can be used for such great good. So we ask, use your word this this evening. May it come forth with clarity from my lips, and may it come with power to each ear and to each heart. We plead this mercy because only you can do these great things. And yet, you can do them well. You alone can do them. And so we ask, and so we ask believing 
through Jesus, our Redeemer. Amen. Well, a few weeks ago, we began our study of this section, beginning in verse 2 there in Colossians 4, and we saw that the Apostle Paul was concerned with what we might call our, our inner life, our prayer life, our life in the closet. As Jesus said, when you pray, go into your closet. Well, that inner life of prayer, our relationship with God, uh, is a matter of concern, and he gives direction of how we ought to pray. Well, here in verses 5 and 6, it's the outer life. It's how we conduct ourselves with regard to outsiders, how we display God's truth through our walk and our word. And we outline this passage, you may remember from last week, in verse four, in verse 5, rather, it says, Your walk, walk with wisdom toward outsiders, toward those who are outside. So your walk. But then it was also the opportunities, because it says making the most of the time, or redeeming the time, making the most of the opportunities, verse 5. Well, your walk... Your opportunities. You remember the third part of the passage? Wow, you remember. W. Well, I hope you can outline this passage. I hope that little mnemonic sticks in your brain. I, I, I have one of those brains that needs such helps. And so the last is W, and that is your word. That's why I like the New King James, because it gives that little rendi- literal rendition. Your word with grace seasoned with salt. And so we're going to take as our outline of this last point, your word, uh, an outline of questions. And I like to call it interrogating the text. We're going to ask these questions of the text and then answer them. And so there's a what, your speech. The when, always. The how, with grace. And another how, which is an illustration, seasoned with salt. And then there's a why to answer each one as you ought. And so those five questions uh, open up the text to us. And so let's interrogate the text and find the answers from God's word. What? What is being spoken of here? Your word, literally, your speech, your word. As in Ephesians 4.29 that we read earlier, it says... Every word, let me go back and read that verse again. Or let no word unwholesome or rotten proceed from your mouth. So it's talking about the words that come from your mouth, your word. It's not words that you hear. It's not words that you read. It's not words you look up in the dictionary. It's words that you speak that come out of your mouth. Not words that come to your ears, but words that come from you. So it's your word. Now, the point here is that uh, when we speak of words or words that you hear, you can't always control that. Now, in a way, you you, you have an effect on the words around you because your behavior may provoke certain response in words. And of course, our behavior going back to the previous verse, ought to be such that it would provoke good words or a good response, Lord willing. Uh, You can't always control, though, even if you behave perfectly, you can't always control what people say. Now, you might control what you hear because you can turn off your TV. You can stop your internet with if you're watching something on YouTube and it's not profitable, you click the stop button and you go to another site. You can control to some degree what you hear, but not always. You can't control what you hear at work from your boss, from fellow employees. You can't control perhaps what you hear at school from fellow students, or even those who go to a public school or to university. You can't control when the teacher is going to give you a worldly philosophy You can't stand up and say, I don't want to hear this. So to some degree, you can't control what you hear or even your spouse. If your spouse may say things when he or she is angry and says hurtful things. Your response to those words, you can control. 
And so it's your word that Paul is addressing here. Your word. Offenses will come. We read in Matthew... uh, Oh, no, that was a different passage. Uh, let me read something. I think, Pastor, um, so, somewhere we read recently, this morning, I believe it was, uh, there was a reference to offenses. Woe to the world because of its offenses, its stumbling blocks. For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks or offenses will come. But woe to that man through whom the offense comes. You're going to have offensive things in bombard your ears. So you can't stop that, but you're in control of your word. It's your responsibility what you say. You can't shift the blame. You can't say, well, he provoked me. You can't say, well, you know, I said this because he said that. It's your word and you are responsible. As uh, I heard the saying years and years ago, uh, engage your brain before you put your mouth in gear. And let me put it this way, engage your conscience before you let go of the clutch and let your mouth run. Engage your conscience. You're in control of your mouth. That's what David said, Psalm 39, verse 1. Let me just read the verse. I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth as with a muzzle while the wicked are in my presence. Hmm. That sounds like in front of outsiders, watch what you say. Guard your mouth in the presence of the wicked. Psalm 141, verse 3, set a guard. There's the prayer of David. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Because even though we say, I'm going to set a guard, I will guard my ways. We recognize our weakness. And so we cry for help. Lord, Set a guard over this door, because I'm needy. I need your help to stop my lips when I ought to. All right, so what are we talking about? Your word. Now, what about your word? Well, the next question is when. Look back at the text, Colossians 4 and verse 6. Your word, let it always be with grace. The when? Always. In other words, there's no excuse, there's no occasion, there's no time when you can let it go, when you can say, well, I don't need to be careful here. Always guard your mouth. I don't think I need to explain what always means. It's all times, you know. So when you wake up in the morning, until you pillow your head at night, and even then, when you're pillowed your head and you're talking to your wife there, always, okay, at all times. But I think we can expand this also, with all kinds of people, always in every situation. So whether you're speaking to what we might call superiors or authorities, your parents, your teachers, your boss, the police, your husband, because wives, your husband, you are to submit to him, so there is an authority. And so when you're speaking to someone like that, kids, when you're talking to your parents and your teacher, how do you talk? You speak with respect. You guard, you speak with grace, right? But also when you're speaking to those who are under your authority, whether it's children or students or employees or husbands to their wives, speak with grace. There's no excuse not to, to such a person. Or to equals, fellow employees, fellow students, and your spouse in the sense of your companion. Speak with grace to everybody in every situation. Again, no excuse. You can't say, well, I was provoked. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And if uh, Mr. Welsh would hear, I'm sure we would hear the echo. Be wise. Memorize. What's 1 Corinthians 10, 13? And I hope I don't flub it. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, that you may be able to endure it. Now that may not be precisely your version, but that's, that's my version. And that's what it says. No excuse, in other words. No temptation's going to 
bounce up and say boo, and you can say, well, there, I look at that. I had no excuse. I, I have no, no way to get around that. No temptation will overcome you and give you an excuse to sin with your mouth. All right? So, always, always. Here's uh, the, the hymn that we sang last Lord's Day before I preached on your walk and the opportunities. And that was, take my life and let it be. And one stanza of that has to do with your word as well as the others dealing with your behavior. Take my voice and let me sing. Always only for my king, take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Ought to be our prayer. My words always. And then the how. How should you speak? It's our third point this evening. How? And he answers that question going back to Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be with grace. In grace. Now, commentators discuss this. What does it mean to have your speech be with grace? And, of course, one way you could take this is your speech ought to be gracious speech. And we know what that means. Uh, and, and Hendrickson even translates, let your speech always be gracious. And as a minimum, that means it is not to be harsh, offensive, crass, or filthy. But on the other hand, it ought to be Gracious speech is loving, peaceable, patient, kind, true, gentle, controlled. Now, do those words sound familiar? Where, where did I pull those from? The fruit of the Spirit. And of course, I didn't mention all of them, but some of them have direct contact or con uh, effect on your speech. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, that is truthfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's gracious speech. Let your speech be with grace. In other words, it manifests God's grace at work in your life. It's the fruit of the Spirit that will help you, enable you to speak graciously. And is it any wonder in this world that more and more we hear harsh speech, offensive speech, violent speech, vile speech, filthy speech? And, and it's hard to watch a movie and if there were a filter that would bleep out filthy, vile speech, how much would be left? Which is why I don't watch many movies. That's the world. And at the same time that the world is so filled with vile, wicked speech, it's also so thin-skinned and easily offended. Isn't it the case? No, he said this. He hurt my feelings. <laughs> Go figure. But gracious words are what ought to mark Christians so that we should stand out as light shining in a dark, wicked world. Our speech ought to show who we are. Proverbs 25, 11, and 12, like apples of gold in settings of silver, is a word spoken in right circumstances. Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. doesn't mean that gracious speech never says anything that's going to go against the grain. Yes, sometimes you have to bring rebuke and reproof. But that should still be gracious speech. All right? So, set apples of gold in settings of silver. Gracious speech. But it also means when we speak with grace, we're going to respond to circumstances, to offensive circumstances and words, with grace. What do I mean? Speaking with grace means that you're not going to respond in kind when you are offended. 
You're going to respond in grace. And what is, what is this? Ephesians 4.32, after having said uh, that you should speak so as to give grace to those who hear, he goes on in verse 32, a couple of verses later, and says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. That's grace. Instead of being easily offended, being so thin-skinned, always ruffled, always ready to find something wrong in what people say and point it out, be gracious in how you respond to people. Let your speech be gracious in your response to provocative situations. Think of the Lord Jesus. We're to imitate him. We're to walk as he walked. First Peter chapter two, verses twenty one to twenty four. First Peter two twenty one. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. All right, I hear some pages turning. I'll give you one minute, because here's the verse, verse 23. 1 Peter 2, 23. And while being reviled, he heard some awful speech. Some awful words were directed right at him. How did he respond? While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. We are to respond in grace. So speaking with grace means we respond in grace to offensive, provocative situations. That's the fruit of grace. Because God forgave us. God was gracious to us. <laughs> we ought to be gracious to those around us. Speak with grace. As is spoken of our Savior, even in the Psalms, in the Messiah, Messianic Psalms, Psalm 45, you are fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured out upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Can that be said of you? Grace is poured out on his or her lips. The milk of kindness is on your lips. Grace poured out when you speak. May that be the case for each one of us. There's a goal. There's what is held up before us in Colossians 4. Let your speech be with grace. But then there's one more thing I want to say. Not only is it gracious speech, not only is it responding in grace, but furthermore, this speech that we're commanded to have is speaking of grace. Speaking of grace. Well, that's the context back in Colossians chapter 4, that we may know how to respond to those who are outside, that we may know how to answer those who uh, confront us in this wicked world. You see, this is, I, I title these two verses, our uh, contact with the world, our relating to the world, those who are outside. We ought to speak with them in grace. Do you speak of grace when you speak to the world? Again, going back to the Psalms, and by the way, you will find yourself inundated, swimming, in deep water, if you go and look up what the Bible has to say about your speech. There's so much out there. You, I mean, I could have a whole other series on the tongue here in just this one verse. I'm not going to do that. But just, let's just take a few examples from the book of Psalms. All right, if you want to turn there with me, I'll let you catch up with me. Psalm 40, first of all. And we're, this is just a sampling of the whole list of references that I could give you. Psalm 40, verse 10. I have not hidden 
All right, he's saying, well, let's go back verse 9 and 10. I have proclaimed glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation. Behold, I will not restrain my lips. O Lord, you know, I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great congregation. I can't help it. It comes out. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. Psalm 66 and verse 16. Another psalm of this section of praise. Psalm 66 and verse 16. Come and hear all who fear God, and I will tell of what he has done for my soul. Brethren, do we speak to each other in this way? Come in here, what God has done for me. Oh yeah, I know about that. (laughs) It's fantastic. Come in here. Psalm 78 and verse 4, not only from each other, but listen to this. Psalm 78 and verse 4, is this the conversation around the table? He's speaking, this psalm of Asaph. He says, I will open my mouth, verse 2, in a parable I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told to us. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord, of His strength and His wondrous works that He has done. Speech with grace. Talking about God's grace. What wondrous works God has done. Tell your children. There's a topic of conversation around the dinner table. What has God done for you? Do your kids know? Well, tell them again. It won't hurt. Psalm 89 and verse 1, last one, and then we'll move on to the next how. Psalm 89 and verse 1. I will sing of the loving kindness of the Lord forever. To all generations I will make known your faithfulness with my mouth. Well, there you go, to all generations. So grandparents, I'm not talking about nagging your grandchildren with this, or, or there goes granddad again, you know. Uh, but take the opportunity to tell your grandchildren of what great things God has done for you, about his faithfulness and his loving kindness forever and ever. All right, so speak of grace. Speak of God's grace to you. Speak of God's grace to sinners. And speak of it in such a way that it's graciously spoken, delightfully spoken, enticingly spoken, that they might desire the same for themselves. Now, the next how is an illustration going back to Colossians chapter 4. In a way, Paul, as he wrote this, as he penned this with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is an, is an example for preachers. He didn't just say, all right, speak graciously. He gave an illustration, an analogy, if you will, to help explain this. He says, let your speech, or literally your word with grace, always seasoned with salt. Now, my version puts in in italics, as it were, to say, well, look, this is a figure of speech. Well, I think that's pretty obvious. We don't really need that clue. But there it is. It's a figure of speech that as your speech is with grace, it's like seasoned speech. It's salty speech. Now, commentaries, again, uh, talk about what this could mean, seasoned with salt. And, of course, salt preserves from rottenness. Again, in that sister letter, the letter to the Ephesians, that's what I read from uh, chapter 4 and verse 29, that no unwholesome or rotten word proceed from your mouth. And so we want salty words that are preserved from rottenness, not uh, speech that is going to be unwholesome or uh, that speech which is going to be in chapter 5 and verse 4 of Ephesians, filthy, silly talk, coarse jesting, what we call in the Philippines green jokes, dirty jokes, uh, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. And so just as grace, uh, grace like salt, should preserve your speech from rottenness. You know, back in the old days, 
before they had refrigeration and uh, sailing ships would take months to cross the oceans. They carried barrels of salt beef and salt pork. Uh, why salt? Well, because the salt preserved it from going bad, from becoming spoiled and rotten. Well, you need that salt of grace in your speech or it's going to go bad. Every day we need salt in our speech. Colossians 3, we dealt with this a little bit where it said, But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Put away the rotten speech, that attack speech, those thrusts of the sword that the Proverbs talk about. Salt of grace you need to preserve your mouth from this rotten kind of speech. So seasoned, as it were, with salt, you need grace in your speech. Every day, add more, is it's going to go bad. But then, furthermore, seasoned, he uses the word seasoned. He doesn't just say, put salt on your speech. He says, seasoned, as it were, with salt. And this word seasoned gives another flavor, if you will, uh, to what he's talking about. He's saying that your, your gracious speech ought to be delightful to consume. You know, we, we talk about uh, eating the white of an egg. The, the, the Puritans would speak of this, that the things that were bland, they would say it's like the white of an egg. I don't know about you, but egg whites don't, don't turn me on. Egg yolks don't turn me on either. I don't really like eggs. You got the picture. But egg whites, that's as bland as you can get. So people put salt on them, right? Well, you season it to give it flavor. Well, that's in a sense too. And I believe that both of these senses of the word seasoned with salt or this phrase are, are true in this passage. It's not only to be preserved from rottenness, it's also to be delightful and have good flavor. Now, the Greeks spoke of salty speech as witty speech. All right, now oh, that was salty, that was witty. In our day, salty speech, you might think of sailor's speech being salty with profanity. Of course, that's not what he's talking about. But he's not also talking about wit. You remember uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or wisdom. So in other words, his, his preaching was not what you would call, well, wow, that was so rhetorically refined, and that was just, oh, that was just so beautiful the way he constructed it. You would not be, uh, your attention would not be drawn to how he said it. Your attention would be drawn to the matter of what he said, because he preached what? Christ. And him crucified. And you would exalt Christ when you heard Paul preach. You wouldn't exalt Paul. And that's the point. When we speak with this flavor that's delightful, it's the flavor of Christ. It is delightful. It is not insipid. It is not, you know, bland. It is not, if we talk about a sermon, soporific. Hopefully, there's enough salt in the sermon that you say, give me more. That's a good, that's delightful to hear. I want to hear that. I want to hear about it. And so when we speak, we need to pray and ask God to help us that our speech will be so properly seasoned that people, instead of turning the volume down or off, will say, what? What do you say? Now, of course, that's not automatic. And of course, that won't be the response of everybody because some people are just going to shut you down no matter what because they hate the name of Jesus. But we want to have our speech seasoned with the gospel. What is it that gives flavor to our speech? It's the grace of the gospel. No, it doesn't mean we never talk about weather or sports or health or work or a new car or a project. We discuss those things, and that's the matter of our daily conversation in a way. But add salt, add grace, add the gospel to your speech. Speak with one another of 
with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your hearts to God. And so, grace should preserve our speech, but it should make our speech delightful. All right, furthermore, one last point. Why? The last question, going back to Colossians 4, why should we have gracious, salty speech? So that you may know how you should answer each one. How you should answer each one. Now, when he says answer, it doesn't mean that there has to be a question. Sometimes in the Gospels we read, Jesus answered and said. And that doesn't mean there was a question that he answered. It's a, a situation he responded to. It might have been he initiated the conversation, but it's, uh, it's the initiation then of that conversation that's the answer, as it were. And so how you answer, how you respond, how you address each one is what's the point. It might be an evangelistic situation. And what is the approach there? Well, it might be a question. And I hope we live in such a way that people say, what makes you tick? Why do you talk the way you do? Why do you walk the way you do? And Peter assumes that that will be the case when he says in 1 Peter 3.15, a passage that uh, would probably be in your margin notes if you have cross-references there, 1 Peter 3.15, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and fear or reverence, yet with grace. Answer everybody with grace. Give an account for the hope that you have. And so it might be an evangelistic situation. You need to let the word of Christ dwell richly within you to be able to speak in such a way. Pray for these opportunities and pray for wisdom. It may be responding to provocation or a difficult situation. How you respond to each situation. And we read in the Proverbs, those that, uh, the, that pair of Proverbs, which is in a way perplexing, but so wise. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. And then the next verse, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Oh, which is it? Well, you need wisdom. How do you respond in each situation? With grace. With grace. Graciousness maybe avoids and backs out and says, oh, this is not going to be pretty. I'll just go for another opportunity. Or maybe it's that opportunity he's speaking such folly and you can speak to him in such a way graciously that he sees his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. And you have to judge by the help of the Holy Spirit which situation is it. Grace will guide. Answer in grace. But in either case, it's making the most of the opportunity. That's why this W-O-W is, really fits all together. And uh, you have to tack this sermon on to the previous one. Your walk, your opportunities, and your word. It's all of a piece. Make the most of the opportunity. Remember, he who is wise wins souls. And when that provocative situation comes your way, instead of thinking, how can I win this argument? How can I come out on top? How can I show this guy that he's an idiot? Wait a minute. He who is wise wins souls, not arguments. You might win the argument and lose the soul. What's the good of that? He who is wise wins souls. Answer in grace. Answer in grace. Let your speech, your word, be with grace. And maybe you're sitting here this evening, you're saying, boy, did I blow it. Well, I, I needed this sermon. Well, you do. We all do. That's why it's in the Word of God. All Scripture is inspired and profitable. But instead of just saying, I blew it. Let's move on. Your speech 
with grace, seasoned with salt, that you might know how to give an answer to everyone. And so, as we come to our applications then this evening, what is the word for you? How do you package it all up? How do you wrap it up? Well, first of all, you want to watch your mouth. That's, the, that's I think, basic. Set a guard over your tongue like David prayed. Uh, set a guard, he prayed, over, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Bridle your tongue. You want help with that? There's a whole series of sermons. Trinity Pulpit, you can find it. Uh, ask Miss Nancy. She'll, she'll be happy to direct you where to find this in Trinity Pulpit. Anybody, one of us can help you find that online. A bridle for your tongue. How do you construct it? There's a whole series of sermons by Pastor Martin on that topic. Excellent. Watch. And I, I hope you're determined. Mm, I'm going to set my conscience in gaze before I let loose the clutch on my mouth. My conscience, my heart, my mind, the Word of God. Grace. Secondly, How do you do that? Well, let me say, you need to soak your soul in gracious words if they're going to come out of your mouth. Soak your soul in grace. Soak your soul, as it were, in salt. If you're going to have that good, salty, gracious speech, you need to soak your soul so that it's soaked in salt. (laughs) Have a briny soul. Okay, what do I mean? Well, Proverbs 22, again, Proverbs give us great direction here. Proverbs 22, 17 and 18. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your mind to my knowledge, for it will be pleasant if you keep them within you. Doesn't stop there. That they may be ready on your lips. Hear what? The wise man Solomon is saying, by the inspiration of the Spirit, fill your ear with the words of the wise, that's Scripture, that they may be ready on your lips. Be wise, memorize, meditate on the Scripture. Proverbs 13, 20, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And so we walk with the wise men of the Scriptures. Soak your soul. Are you reading your Bible every day? Are you meditating? Are you praying it in every day? I say, I'm busy. If you're too busy for the Word of God, something's got to go and make room for the Word of God. Soak your soul in Scripture. How can you have grace come out of your lips if you don't put it in your soul? By meditating on Scripture. Thirdly, all right, so watch your mouth, soak your soul in Scripture. Thirdly, keep near to the Savior in prayer and meditation. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we saw how the Lord Jesus did not revile in return. He uttered no threats. He responded graciously. How can you do that? Well, 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Gazing intently, as in a mirror, at the glory of the Lord. Why a mirror? Because as you gaze at Him, as you reflect on Him, as you draw near to Him, as you commune with your Savior, guess what? It says here, you're transformed. And so your likeness becomes like His likeness. Beholding as in a mirror. Hmm, interesting. That you might be transformed. Draw near to the Lord Jesus. Walk with Him. I like to read uh, Samuel Rutherford's letters because he speaks of his love for the the Savior, the ever-lovely Lord Jesus. Draw near to Him. Be like Him. But then, last word. Without grace, dear friend, without grace, you cannot speak with grace. As we read, and here's, I believe, our scripture reading from this morning was Matthew 12, am I not mistaken? Matthew 12, yes, there, I knew we had read something previously today. Matthew 12, verse 34 to 37. You may want to turn there because we're going to conclude with this passage about speech, about your words. Matthew 12. 
34. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man, out of his good treasure, brings forth what is good. And the evil man, out of his evil treasure, brings forth what is evil. And I say to you that every careless word that men shall speak, they shall render account for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. Now, is he speaking of salvation by works? No, but he's talking about judgment by works. Because your words, as he says here, reveals what's in your heart. And if you have a heart that has been converted, that you have believed in the Lord Jesus, He has given you a new heart. He has washed your old heart. Not perfect yet in this life, perfect in the life to come. That's, that's coming, praise God. But in this life, you're different. And if you're not different, it's going to show in your words. By your words, you shall be justified. By your words, you shall be condemned. Your word, let it be with grace. Seasoned with salt. Well, what if you have no grace? Your word is going to be graceless. Now, you might have been raised right. You might have been raised in a family where your parents didn't let you sass. Where your parents taught you to say please and thank you, the magic words. Well, that's good. I hope you all have that. But you know what? Without grace, after you say please or thank you, you're going to go mutter on your to the side, mutter something else. Because your heart isn't changed. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. What is in your heart? Is it the world? Is it things? Is it pleasure? Is it me? It's going to come out. By your words. And here's the point. If your mouth is full of Cursing. And as I said, this, this world around us, it will affect you. You maybe have been raised in a family where you were taught not to say bad words, and you go to school, and you go away to college, you get in the workplace, and it's all around you, and nothing stops you. What's in your heart? That alone will stop you. You need the grace as salt to preserve you from filthy speech. In the world full of cursing, foul language, foul jerks, jokes, bitterness, wrath, harshness, complaining, attacking others with words like thrusts of the sword. It shows what's in your heart. By your words, you will be either demonstrated to be the real deal, have grace in your heart, it comes out in your words, or your words are going to condemn you and show that you, no matter what you profess, no matter whether you walked for a while with us, if you're not of us, that is, if you're still an unbeliever, it's going to come out in your words. Now, brethren, it's hard enough for us, isn't it? I mean, we need this passage. Why is it written? Why did Paul include this at the inspiration of the Spirit? Because our speech is not always gracious. We need to be rebuked. We need to be reminded. We need to be instructed. But if that's hard enough for a Christian who has grace, how about for you? You know, maybe you say, well, okay, I'm going to watch my tongue. I'm gonna, I'm, uh, that, was, uh, that really hit me where it hurt. I'm going to try to straighten myself out. Guess what? It's not going to happen. Maybe for a little while, you'll, you'll, speech will be a little better. Like th there was a lady in our church in the Philippines who worked for a boss in the Asian Development Bank. Vice President of the Asian Development Bank was her boss. She was his secretary. And he had a foul mouth. And it wasn't professional. And she, this gracious lady, she was a very gracious lady, spoke to him that he would have to pay, and I think it was five pesos, for every foul word he spoke. And she had a little bank, the old piggy bank on her desk, and up oh, there's another one, and he did it. And you know what? His wife thanked her for reforming his speech. 
But that was just on the outside. That's good. It's not good enough for God. Dear friend, you might have a secretary who's good with you like that, and it might straighten you out to a certain degree. But unless you have a new heart, you lose that secretary, she retired. Then what? Go back to the old way. You need a new heart. And you can't do it, but I know somebody who can. I will give a new heart. I'll put a new heart. I'll take out the heart of flesh. And I'll put a new heart in there. That they will walk in my ways. I, my law, I will write on their hearts. And their sin and their iniquity will be forgiven. Dear friend, that's what you need. Jesus specializes in cleaning hearts, giving new hearts, changing your speech from the inside out. That's what you need. May God bring you to him. Not to self-reformation. It's not going to work. Repentance and faith in Christ Jesus. A new life. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we bow at the end of this service, we thank you for your word, which is pure, which is clean, which enlightens the heart, which strengthens the soul. And so we ask that your word would so work in us, your people, that our speech would be more salty with grace in the weeks and months, yea, years to come, that this sermon might even mark a turning point in the way we speak to one another in our homes, in school, at work, even at church. But then we plead especially for those who do not have grace in their hearts, who are still in the darkness. Would you not even tonight transfer them from the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan, to the kingdom of your beloved Son? And you can do this by your mighty grace. Convict of sin, sin of the tongue, and bring to the Savior. We plead in his precious name. Amen.